I think we are live. Anybody want to uh, confirm that with me and let me know that we're live? Thank you for joining us, uh, Sports Clicks and Politics. This is our first official episode, so thank you for joining us. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, New York City reopening today for the first time after uh, almost 100 days since their first uh, reported COVID case. Um, Mr. Husung, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming back. Excited to be here. Always. <laughs> um so we have a, a historic day in uh, New York City today, right? We're Big getting deal. to uh, we get to uh, reopen. We get to come out of our houses. We get to maybe go out to eat. Can I ask you a question? Sure. How unnatural does it feel for you to say the words "we get to" or "we're allowed to"? Uh, it's, it's unfortunate circumstances for where we are right now, but yeah, it's it's terrible. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we're here, though. So I mean, Agreed. New York City reopening. Um, I think, I think it was a hundred days on the nose since their last, uh, or their first, uh, confirmed case. And here we are. So they are free to go about their business, sort of, um, limited capacity in, uh, outdoor dining. Um, we have some retail establishments open up, but not all of them. Here we are. So, uh, what do you think? You think this is the uh, end of the world or the beginning of the world for New York city? (laughs) Uh, I don't. I think it's going to be either. I think it'll be somewhere in the middle. Um, I think New York City has unique challenges that the rest of the country just does not have. And we talked about this last time with population density being a big issue of how in the world are people supposed to stay away from each other in that city? It's just too many people in too small of an area. So I'm sure you will see at least a minor uptick would be my guess in cases and, and probably even deaths and everything else that follow that, which will be unfortunate. Um, I think the other hand is the, to keep going is untenable. You can't keep doing what we've been doing for much longer. It's not, it's not going to end well. It's going to no. have worse consequences. No, I, I, even if they un, unopen, you know, reopened everything instantaneously today, I don't think it, there was going to be prolonged damage done to, you know, endless businesses. Um, you know, right. who, who, who knows how it's all going to play out at, 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 as it goes forward, but it is, you know, clearly unprecedented. Yeah, and, and listen, I think there's still concerns even with doing it this way, and you're seeing it of restaurants in particular, something that always strike me of. If you have a restaurant that's operating at 30 to 40% of its capacity, that restaurant's going out of business. Yeah, you're losing money. At some point, yeah, you're not going to last long. You need to be up and running. Restaurants have there's, notoriously yeah, thin margins. Thin, thin margins. Right, so if you're not really churning it out, so it's great that they are allowed to open, but it's sort of mind-boggling to go... I don't know how long you can do this before this is going to go under. So I would anticipate, however, with phase two going in New York City, given the population, I would expect the next time unemployment numbers come out that they'll be better. I would think that you'll see a drop in unemployment as a result of more businesses opening there, and it should have an impact on the national level, I would guess. But I've been wrong before. It happened once. I don't want to talk about it. Um, So we get New York City reopening for the first time we also get uh i think five at least five of the regions are in phase two maybe there's more now um phase two seems to be to me less structured than at least phase one or phase two i thought how phase two was going to go because the governor seems to be releasing more and more every day and allowing people to be people again so um i thought we got 
we're allowed to do graduations now, so that's exciting for all the kids who are sort of. looking to get out of school, right? Yeah, so as long as your uh, school is less than 150 kids, I guess. But, Sorry, um, all of you people in the West Jenny District. Um, so f- phase two is open. We have outdoor dining being added. We had uh, dental services being added. We had salons. We have uh, uh, several industries and businesses being reopened here. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not those businesses are frequented the way they were before this I guess remains to be seen. Um, but it's good that they're open. I mean, this is, you know, at least the, a, a baby step in the right direction. It's progress. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's the end game. And I think we got to keep working towards that, but it is progress. And it is a, a reason in my opinion to be happy because if, if somebody is very nervous about this virus and they have at risk people in their household, you still have the option of not doing it. You still always have right. the option of not going to a restaurant, not going to a store anything else. But I think for the people that want to go and do those things, you should be able to. And for the people that rely on these businesses, uh, you got to sit here and watch Walmart and these other retailers. Right. And you know, I, I like to trust people with their own lives. So, um, they know their lives better than I do. They know what risks they they're, they're susceptible to, and they should be able to manage those risks as individuals, um, if you're a susceptible or a vulnerable person, then I'm guessing you're going to take certain precautions to make sure that you're not subjected to the disease. So, um, and I think that still goes forward, even as we're opening. I mean, people can still and should still be cautious, and especially if you're vulnerable. So let me ask you, yeah. your thoughts, Destiny USA still cannot open. Yeah, I'm, this is crazy to me. Um, I mean, it seems like it's the biggest building in the whole county. So like safe shopping should be able to be accomplished there. Um, I understand that it's, you know, a, maybe the most well-trafficked building in the whole County, but it's, it's important to the County too. I mean, there's a lot of people that work there. There's a lot of, you know, revenue that comes through that building for the, for our government services and our government services, you know, for what they're, they're struggling. They don't have any of this income coming in. So they're, they're making do with what they can. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't square with everything else that seems to be going on um, as the governor is loosening and loosening certain, you know, requirements to, to stay down. Destiny has seemed to slip through the cracks a little bit. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, do you, I, it seems like it should be open. Um, I don't think there's any, I haven't seen anything where I'm completely concerned about it being open, but if everything else is opening, I, I'm, I'm not sure why they're being excluded. I, tend to agree with that. And I, I don't default to the question of like, well, is it essential or anything else? I default to, is there a reason it's still closed? Right. Is there no way that this could be done safely and objectively? And if so, okay, fine. But I think as, as more stuff goes on, more stuff opens up and we start returning to normalcy, you are seeing more and more people go, okay, let's just get on with it. And yeah. I think destiny falls into that same category. And I, I'm even seeing that, you know, I say it anecdotally, but just while I'm out, like, I feel like people have become less scared, if that's the right, right thing. They're acting in a way that it's not irresponsible, but it's more normal. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it was, it was weird to have people, you know, random people come to the house for whatever and then standing, you know, so far away. Yeah, it's just weird. So, um, that seems to be lessening, um, I think people are more comfortable in their surroundings and the situation and are, are more aware. I mean, they've been doing, you know, they're being reported on every single day. So people have information available to them. I think people are less diligent about social distancing now than they were a month and a half ago. Right. And some of that is probably a little bit of complacency because the numbers are so good. Mm-hmm. Um, or 
it just should have been that way the whole time, I guess. But I think some of it is the human nature of you are only going to do this for so long. It's it was just reality. There was there was going to be an end time. Some of it is the numbers as they came in, especially in Onondaga County, where you're looking at it and going, "All right, I, I'm shutting everything down because we have a hundred active cases in a county with yeah. a half a million people." Like, we had we had 35 deaths in the whole state yesterday, uh-huh. and we're still closed. At the highest was 700. Right. Um, Progress. Right. It seems they should put the pedal on the gas for this progress. It seems like they should be be, 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 be letting us go here. So here's here's where I always fall back to the numbers, and this is what I take solace in. I don't want anybody to tell me how afraid I need to be or not be. Is Let me look at the data. Let me look at it. And this is what we started to learn and has been more and more confirmed which is overall the death rate looks like it's not going to be 2 to 4%. It looks like it's going to be below one half of 1%. Uh, could be right around there, but it, it's probably going to be lower. Number two is the death or the mortality rate for people under the age of 65 is almost non-existent. Right. It's, it's, so, it's so low. I'm going to use the, the, the term statistically, uh, what's the right word here? I don't know. It seems like it's Yeah, right. It's statistically insignificant yeah. is the term. That's to, to the term. Anybody, you know, in that age group, unless you're having interactions with somebody who may be vulnerable, mm-hmm. like their their daily lives should be unchanged. Right. And for kids, which was a big one for me, obviously, is I have young children. This is a statistically insignificant threat. I saw the thing about Kawasaki's disease and, and the increase. Great. We should watch for that. It's still not common. It's not something that's even a 1% hit rate on that. So all of those things added up. And then the other one was uh, transmission. Initially it was, well, this thing lives on surfaces for a week, and if you touch it, and then they came out later, and they're like, well, it's actually not that bad. It's not going to in the hot weather. So all of that goes up. And look, going outside is a risk. Everything at any minute in your day is a risk. So we looked at it and kind of said, all right, enough. Let's just get on with our life. We can't keep doing this anymore. It's not worth doing this any longer because this doesn't pose enough of a threat for me. Now, would I be sad if I got it or one of my kids got it? Of course. Sure. Don't be a jerk. Of course I would be sad. I mean, I'd be sad if my kid got hit by a car, but I'm not going to keep them in the house all day either. Like, I'm going to let them go play. You have to take on some level of risk. And I'm just very open with everybody that I come into contact with to tell you, listen, I haven't been social distancing for five to six weeks now. If you are nervous about this, I'm not the person to be around. Yeah, and that's good. And I got no qualms with it. I have no problems and no issues. If you just tell me, no, I've got a sick mother that I'm taking care of, whatever else, I don't want to hear. Great. Let's stay 10 feet apart and not come near each other. And we could talk. I'm right. happy to do that. I'm not trying to get anybody sick. Absolutely. It's right. Just, no, I'm, I'm pretty much in that same camp, right? Like, I'm not trying to, you know, be in somebody's space that doesn't want my me to be there. Um, but here we, here we are. So. I do have to say something about the masks. All right, I get why people don't want to wear them. I do. I, I grasp the, the data is, is not conclusive by any means, especially when you the amount of things you're touching with your hands and then touching your mask. I understand all that. I'm actually in that camp, and I when I go into a store, I usually have one with me. I don't usually wear it until I'm close to somebody and I'll pull it up because, again, it's just polite. But if a store has a policy that says you have to wear a mask and your response is, this is a free country, you're not right. No. It is a free country, but the business owner gets to determine the rules for their store. So if they tell you you should wear a mask, they are not violating your constitutional no. rights. They are not violating your intrinsic liberty. No. 
they get to set and, the rules. And they did not they did not need the executive order from the governor to allow them to do that either. They had that right, right ahead of time. So that was I the, feel like the governor just <laughs> sticking his nose into stuff that doesn't really matter. But yeah, go ahead. It's almost but like I'm 100% really agree with good you. press for yeah. some reason to counteract some of the negative. Um, but it was it's one of those things where if I walk into your store and I it happened to me at Tops yesterday. I went into the grocery store to pick something up. I had my thing down around my neck. The girl walked over and was like, "Excuse me, sir. I know it's down, but it is store policy. Could you please pull it up?" Of course, no problem. Now, I kind of laughed because I'm touching the self-checkout thing that I'm sure 800 other people have touched and hasn't been cleaned. And I'm not within 10 feet of anybody until she walked over to me. And I'm just going, all right, fine. You know, it's, it's five minutes out of my life. What are you going to do? Life will go on. Yeah. So I, I'm excited about the return to normalcy. I'm yeah. excited to get things back. What are you most excited for as we're coming back into some level of normalcy? Golf. <laughs> is, that, is that a fair? Is that a fair answer? Um, we get golf. We get golf this week. Um, Amen. Let's, uh, let's just move right to that. So we do get sports. Um, starting Thursday, we get the Charles Schwab Challenge. Uh, Texas, pretty much a full field of PGA players. So we actually get some real live sports on TV that, you know, something to keep us busy. So um, it'll be a little different. No crowds. Um, you know, I'm not sure how, that, how many golf claps we missed. But there's clearly a weird, it'll be a weird dynamic for the players. Um, well, some of the good players, the bad players right. don't really play with crowds anyway. <laughs> the, <laughs> the best players will, be, will notice a difference. Um, yeah. But yeah, so sports is coming back. We got PGA starting Thursday. Um, I feel like the NBA is getting close here. They have kind of mm-hmm. this crazy format that I'm interested in starting maybe in July. So um, and then we got baseball. They're trying to come back in July as well. Um, all these with you know, stipulations and probably no crowds, uh, you know, medical procedures that for the players ahead of time um, and staff and whatnot. Um, you know, the NBA is going to play all of their games in one arena in Orlando um, or one complex down there in Orlando, the wide world of sports complex. So all the teams are going to go down there. They're going to have a little tournament. I think it's going to be kind of like a, a March madness blended in with the uh, NBA playoffs. I think it's kind of exciting. I think it's, Part NBA playoffs, part March Madness, and part AAU tournament from when you were in high school. Yeah. I mean, it's it's That's fantastic. Cool. Yeah. I am admittedly not a big NBA watcher. I don't I don't watch a lot of it. I'll turn in for this because I think this sounds fascinating. Just to see the setup of all these, you, you're going to play 22 games or whatever it is in this short period of time. Yeah. All of them plays like four games in a day. Yeah. I, I it's just. Fun. I mean, I wish I could get a ticket. That would be more fun, I mean, right? And I do think on the golf front, you know, the only two places where crowds matter in golf, in my personal opinion, outside of Ryder Cup and President's Cup, are the Phoenix Open, where basically you're encouraged yeah. to be as obnoxious and loud as possible, which that part I would miss if we were to miss out on that. Uh, the other one is the idiots yelling Baba Booey or something else, which I, I just yeah, won't miss at all. That's, that, that I'm good yeah, with. No. So I'm just excited to have some sports back. The gambling people amongst us are probably a little excited. To yes, have very. Something. So, yeah, I, I, I have a DraftKings lineup that I set a week ago So nice. for my PGA, and I haven't even done any research. I was just happy to set in a lineup. <laughs> I was like, hey, I get to do it. So, but yeah, so this is, you know, these are more than baby steps, I think, in my mind, because I think they bring back a collective, like, I don't know if it's an exhale or what, but they kind of bring back some normalcy that you're... You get to go into you know Thursday through Sunday golf. You're going to have some NBA games. You're going to have some sports that kind of bring you back to where we were before all this thing started. And again, I'm not sure. 
of the new normal or what the, all that means, but like just having things that are familiar allow you to not be stressful. Like yeah. your, 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 your life seems to be moving in the right direction when that happens. Well, based on what I've been seeing so far from the people in public, I would say the new normal is going to look strikingly like the old normal because it's not, I, I think people are following these rules because they have to. I don't think, not everybody, some people are genuinely into this and, and concerned about it. It's just been my observation, and maybe that's just because of the company I keep or the people that I tend to spend more time with. It's more or less a, oh, yeah, we can't do that because of this. But everybody seems to just be going, all right, I'm, I'm just done. I, don't get caught Right, is, no, is the bigger sure. thing. So I, I don't know what that'll do, but I agree with your, your sentiment on sports. There's something about sports as stupid and pointless as they all are, and I acknowledge it completely. It's fun. Yeah. It gives you something to cheer for. It yeah, gives right. you something no. to be excited it's, about. You know, maybe not for the people involved, but to me, it's mindless entertainment. Like I can set back. I don't, you know, I, I evaluate players cause I like athletic people and I can appreciate that, but I don't, you know, I've, I've removed myself from the fandom crowd. So yeah. like, I appreciate the sports and I, I, you know, I watch them just as much as anybody, if not more. Um, I don't have a, my emotions don't, ride with win or a loss of even my favorite teams. Um, I just appreciate the fact that they're there and now I appreciate it even more. So, I mean, the fact that they've been gone for so long, it's just a way, it's a release. It's an outlet. It's a, it's a way to, you know, I mean, we had six weeks of doing nothing, so maybe we didn't need this distress outlet there, but like when you're, when you're doing your, when you're in your life and you have the stresses of family and work and just every day, sometimes it's good to check out and sports allow you to do that. So I think we're, we're at least moving towards that point again. Agree, and I I'm actually in a similar one. I I like it for the talent and the work that has gone into it. If anybody that is great at something is enjoyable to watch doing that, oh, yeah. so that's what even a Rubik's Cube guy are. right. The difference I can't. The only team that can still emotionally get me like throughout an entire season is the Bills. I I fight it and I try not to. I can't. It's well, it's just. Useless. I mean, you're set up for the ultimate disappointment this year. <laughs> I mean, because everybody's got you in the Super Bowl already. So, listen, here you are. I'm just throwing it out there. Obviously, they're going to the Super Bowl. Right, there you go. It's the perfect setup, and they've got everything right. I'm going to. Have I ever used the, uh, what does Bills stand for? Yeah. Boy, I love losing Super Bowls. Yeah. Uh, well, you got one more to <laughs> break the week. I lived in Buffalo in 94 when they were like, you know, the Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas heyday. And I was a Steelers fan. So, like, I, I just enjoyed the, the, you know, the atmosphere, the, the, the city was electric because the bills were good. Right. Um, and they were really good. It wasn't like they were just good. They were like the, you know, they went to four street Super Bowl. So, um, the, it, again, back to what we were talking about before the city embraced their team and it allows them to, you know, come together as a community, but it, it gives, I have friends who lives in Pittsburgh and I'm assuming it's the same way in Buffalo. Like when the teams win, people are in a good mood. People yeah. want to spend money. People want to do things. Um, I don't know how that affected everything with no sports and whether or not, you know, I mean, clearly economies were shut down. So there right. was not a lot of people, people buying stuff. But like, I wonder if the addition of these sports will allow these people to, again, just a, another level of comfort, another level of of acceptance of this situation and we can move forward. So I think it's just a one step forward. Right. And I, listen, I lived in Buffalo for 10 years from uh, about 2004 until two or three years ago. So a little over. So they were awful for most of my time. And I had season tickets for a few years of that. 
And I can tell you, like, the, the claim to fame wasn't even, like, our team was good. It was basically of, like, well, uh, we tailgate harder than you play. Because it was all he had. The team was awful, but every year you'd get so, you talk yourself into it, but, like, you know, we could go to 9-7 and seven and maybe get the wild I mean, listen, I, I do think in general, the NFL, and we're kind of a little bit sidetracked here, yeah, but I do sorry. think the NFL does lend itself to that. Like, every year is just totally different. So, it's not, it's not, I mean, maybe for the Bills fans, it was a little bit, uh, you know, misplaced of, misplaced for sure but like <laughs> most teams feel like hey a new year a new team again you know there's been enough nine seven teams that have won the super bowl right. so it's possible so let's shift over to baseball okay what do you think is going to happen here i think people are still going to spit <laughs> i know they banned it but the sunflower seeds the chew the gum like I, baseball I mean, players do not use chewing tobacco anymore they stopped that okay um if that's news, that's news to me. But anyway, I, I can't imagine how they're going to enforce the spitting rule, but that's funny. Um, I don't know. I mean, so baseball specifically, they've been talking about trying to figure out even how many number of games they're going to play, right? So they, I've seen anywhere between basically around 48, 50 to 80 games. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine them getting 80 games in without them having a significant amount of like double headers and, and, and scheduling things that would, would, would allow that. Um, I think they'll play. Um, I don't know that they'll play. I don't know that they'll play. They're not doing 160. No, for sure, definitely not. I don't know if they're going to get 80. I think more likely 50 to 60 seems like a a a good number. I know that 75 keeps getting thrown out there, but yeah, it's it's going to be an abbreviated season. It's going to be shortened. I know they're talking about prorated salaries. Uh, You know, again, a bunch of. I don't know if they're going to allow fans. I can't imagine that they do. Yeah. Um, We'll leave the NFL to bring. They're the ones who are going to probably break the. uh, the barrier and allowing fans to their stadium, but um, it's going to be weird. I mean, for sure. Yes, I agree with all of that. And I do think the hang up that the MLB is having with the players union on how do you, how do you work this out? Because MLB players all have fully guaranteed contracts and the owners have basically said, look, if you're playing games and we have no fans, we'll lose money by paying you. So we need to we need to reduce salaries. We need to do all this stuff, and the union justifiably has kind of said, "Okay, but we're not going to give you everything that you want. We're not." And so, knowing that that's the case, it's I'm sure. Excuse me. There's a number they can meet at somewhere in the middle and make it happen. But this is one of the things that just annoys me about negotiations in general. All of these people, all the posturing of we can't do this, we will do this, and this is so unfair, and this is whatever else like. Guys, I get it. Billionaires and millionaires. Stop, please. Like, <laughs> billionaires and millionaires. Right. What are you going to do? I'm, and I don't even think it's right necessarily. And I, I'm not going to tell you that just because you're a millionaire, you should just give up and, and whatever else. And same with the billionaires. Like, God bless you. You got to this place for a reason. You want to go back and forth. Fine. Just do me a favor. Before you write an op-ed so that your side is better understood, just give it a thought. <laughs> like, how, how much is this going to relate with the people that have been yeah. cooped up and not able to work for the last yeah. eight weeks? Yeah, like I'm guessing the uh, the leaked negotiating thing is probably not a great tactic right now. Nobody cares. So, not even a little. No, like it, just get on with it. Right, and not only that, the only thing you're missing right now, baseball wise, is games that 90 percent of us weren't going to watch sure. anyway <laughs> sure. after the first two. For sure. Because let's just call it what it is: 162 games. It's is just way too long. Right. There's no way to. I equate it to football. Basically, losing a football game is a big deal. It's the equivalent of 10 baseball games. That's insanity. This just shouldn't be that big of a discrepancy. There's no need. Oh. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, get, season length for baseball is a, a, a topic for another show, I think. But I'm, I'm in agreement with you. Like, 162 games is probably too long. Right. Um, so we get New York City reopening. 
Yep. We get some phase two in the rest of the state. Yeah. You know, we get some sports. Maybe multiple sports. You know, we I definitely have golf, and I think we're going to have uh, NBA here soon. They are um, also opening youth sports now. They're going to oh. do at least some of them. This is I, I coach a bunch of these activities, so they're going to do a shortened baseball season for the kids, and I think a soccer season as well. From uh, They haven't announced that officially yet, but I would assume we are. And I, I keep going back to this of, please just open it up. Yeah. Because if I don't feel safe, then I won't sign my kid up. But if I'm good with it, then I will. And you, something tells me you will have more than enough people sign up and be ready to go. And let's go and do it. I think you're right. Especially upstate. I mean, like, right. there there seems to be no risk factor for youth sports at all. I mean, it seems like it would be in everybody's best interest to make that happen as easily as possible. Especially in the summer, being yeah, outside, right, getting sure. sunshine. And especially if they're already going to cancel the summer camps and stuff. There's already uh, stuff that are not going to be going on. So having these additional activities for these kids is huge. Not just for the kids, but for the parents as well, right? So, like, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a, there's a, a lot going on there. Well, that's part of the problem that you're having with the phased reopenings of, and I think this is where you have to make them intentionally vague, because as soon as you come down and say, this is okay, but this isn't, somebody's going to raise their hand and go, wait, what? Right. And the summer camps is a great example of this. Of it's, I get it. You don't want to. Sh- you, you don't want to run summer camps because it's a lot of kids and it's an easy way for a virus to spread and it could get to the teachers and the counselors. And I understand. The flip side to that is, if you're a two-income household with children, as most are, if you're not, God bless you. But most have two parents working. What are you supposed to do with your kids all summer? I mean, this the last eight weeks have been tough enough. Now you got to go eight more, and then you're talking about in the fall doing like an every other day type thing of who is thinking this stuff up? This is never going to work. I, I'm at a loss for words. Like this can't be the solution we come up with. Yeah, I, I mean, again, you know, I, it's hard for me. I mean, I guess not terribly hard because I've done it, but it's hard for me to critique the politicians too hardly because I, you know, they've never done this before. Sure. Um, now, some of that may be at their own doing. Um, so, you know, self-inflicted wounds are still wounds, but they're, you know, it's hard to feel sympathy for some of the government decisions that were made. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm just, I think I'm basically in the camp with you. Is like, let's just reopen stuff. Like, it's, we, we, we've done it. it it's time. Um, you know, specifically upstate, like, you know, I, I'm not as in tune with the information being coming out of New York City, but... I mean, upstate seems like we're ready. Um, I mean, specifically where we are in, in Onondaga County, like it seems we're 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 more than ready, and we're ready to move into phase three or phase four, whatever those phases are. Right. Um, and I feel like even our county executive has kind of said, like, "Hey, you know, we're ready to go." Um, so hopefully, he keeps up the pressure on the governor, and you know, makes statements to that effect uh, on a more consistent basis, and lets him know that, "Hey, we're not waiting on you too much longer," or you know, at least push push the pressure yeah. on him. I think that what you saw, obviously, for the last 10 or 11 days, we've had massive protests throughout the entire country and through New York City into Syracuse and everything else. Mm-hmm. Where it's been large crowds gathered, and, and that's and it's, it is what it is. So the, the virus itself doesn't care about the nobility of, the, of your cause. So when, when a bunch of health experts come out and say, well, no, it's okay for this to happen— if you're a small business owner and you've just watched your entire business get cannibalized by large corporations like Walmart or wherever else that could stay in business and you haven't been able to, 
it's not that you don't care about the protests. It's not that you don't care about the reasons. It's just looking at it and going, wait a minute, if that is an acceptable risk of having 5,000 people standing next to each other outside, why is my business such a small concern that I, that I can't open it and start supporting my family again and support my own livelihood? That's what's mind-boggling. Like this? <laughs> Let me read this to you guys. So this, this is a, a quote from health experts. I wish I had names of these health experts. Um, as public health advocates, we do not condemn these gatherings as risky for COVID-19 transmission in reference to the protests. The, the quote continues, this should not be confused with permissive stance on all gatherings, particularly protests against stay-at-home orders. So certain protests are more risky than others, apparently, in this health it's expert's spreading mind. spreading a virus. Yes. So certain, certain causes thwart the spread of the virus better than other causes, apparently. The virus was so woke. So, I don't know. I'm of, again, this is kind of more of maybe building on what we were talking about, like, these people are comfortable out there, right? It wasn't like they were, I mean, there were still people wearing masks and there, but they were not social distancing. I mean, they were arm in arm, you know, right. face to face. Right. Uh, absolutely good. I think, you know, I know I keep hearing wait two weeks, but in two weeks when nothing happens other than just, we get more immunity, then let's just do this thing, right? Let's just move it forward, get it going. Um, you know, everybody's ready. Everybody's ready. The businesses yeah. are ready. The people are ready. Everybody's ready. I think this, what's troubling about in, in this statement in particular and some of the just inconsistencies is it, it's not, I'm not here to say the protests are wrong. I think I am fully supportive. Go, do it. Uh, obviously drawing the line at looting and rioting, but yes, protests, go and do it. And I'm also for the businesses opening. I think this goes into a, if you want to understand why people have some um, reservations about trusting experts that get brought up there this is why is because this is clearly a political stance this is clearly an opinion that you are masquerading as an expert opinion and it just doesn't follow any sort of logic that you could flow it's it's obviously what you want it to be instead of looking at it and saying listen i fully support the protests but this is going to lead to people dying right now you could say it's worth it like the cause justifies the risk and therefore we're okay with more people dying but at least be truthful about what you're saying. Um, I personally am of the opinion that says, yes, if you want to protest, you should go protest. If you are at risk, you should not go protest. Same with business owners. If you want to open your business, if you want to go visit a small business, you should be able to. If you are high risk, you shouldn't. But that's your opinion, and you've got to make the call. You've got to make the decision. I don't want to tell anybody else how to live. I just don't want the government dictating what everybody can and can't do, or at least to a minimum. Obviously, we all have rules to follow, but sure. keep it to a minimum whenever possible. And I think now the laissez-faire attitude from the government on the protests has sort of registered with a lot of people as, okay, so is the risk so grave that we can't risk going outside and I couldn't attend a funeral for a loved one? Or is it contained and controlled enough that I can go outside with 10,000 people in March? Right. Whatever it, it is, is fine. Just consistency. Right. And, you know, listen, some of that is, I think, I think the second part is right, but I think the first part is people now are trying to cover their ass, right? So, right. like, they have made these decisions that seem to have been excessive as an understatement, maybe, um, 
but have caused such damage that if they acknowledge it and say, okay, we were wrong, let's just reopen, that they look even worse than just shutting down. Um, you know, and some of this could have been probably been avoided, that sentiment could have been avoided if people were forthright and, you know, communicated well with information, but it doesn't seem like that was the case. I know Cuomo gets a lot of accolades for how well he holds a press conference, but I mean, his state is the worst and he's led the state from the beginning and some of his decisions have led to the outcomes that we have. So absolutely, you know, I, I don't care how well you hold a press conference. If after you leave that microphone, you're a shit show. So, um, he's made some serious errors and as opposed to just admitting them and moving forward, he's, you know, tried to lay blame at other places other than his office. But I think his office is the place where the blame should lie. Um, and you know, he's using some of this stuff now as a distraction just to try to, it's, it's it's turned into a political campaign effort for him. But, but I don't know, like I said, I think our governor has been for all the accolades again that he gets, I think he has been terrible to be honest with you. He has, provided minimal guidance at best. The communication is terrible. I mean, every region has basically said this. This is not just me. This is regions, all these regions, like, why are we not getting information? Where, where is the information we need from you? And they're not getting it. So these regions and these executives and the leaders of these regions are left to make decisions for themselves. But when they make some decisions, they're penalized by the state in a way that didn't give them guidance, right? Mm -hmm. So like they're trying to figure it out but they're not given the guidance that they need. And then when they make the wrong decision, they're being held account again by the state that didn't give them the guidance needed. Agreed. It's proof that politicians are experts at saying a whole lot of words while absolutely saying nothing (laughs) because he gets in front of the camera every day and talks for a while. And he says nothing about this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it with specifics. It's all platitudes. It's like listening to Bill Belichick give a press conference after a football game or before. Yeah. It's, Words with no I, yeah, right. And I I feel like the regional leaders are starting to realize this. And I hope that they just put forward more, you know, take take more authority, if you will, and just say, we're reopening. Now, this is what we're going to do. Come up with their own plan. You know, meet with the regional leaders that are, that are you know, local and, and, and make sense and figure out your own plan. Tell the governor what you're going to do and then do it. Like, I don't think he's going to stop it. Um in large part, I don't think he really has answers. So I think he's somewhat flying by the seat of his pants. And to your point, being generally vague on purpose mm-hmm. to not make him responsible for certain actions, um, which I'm fine with. Let those actions be taken by the counties. Let those actions be taken by the regional leaders. Let the risks be assessed there and then let the rewards be received there. Um, we elected our local officials to lead us Obviously, we elected a governor, too. I feel like our local leaders, our local officials have better knowledge, more intimate knowledge of what's going on, more local knowledge, more the have a better ability to assess the risk and assess where we're at as opposed to an office in Albany. Um, I think people are seeing that. Like I, th- I don't think this is just me now. I think there's a lot of people who are coming to this conclusion. So two things. One is far. I, I agree with you. I think the county executives and county legislature should be given more authority to make these decisions. I don't envy the position, though, because, listen, next year you're going to need funding from the state. And if you're the one who comes out and ones up and does the one-up on Andrew Cuomo, 
Maybe you have faith that he won't hold that against you. Oh, no, he I will. Right. No, he so definitely will. And I understand that for sure. You got to be careful. But I agree with it. And this is how it should work, is they should do it, submit it to him and say, here's what we're doing. Here's why. We'll take the onus. We'll take the responsibility. And Let's they can, go. listen, they can, they don't have to be as, maybe as public as I would want them to be. But if they're, you know, as our executive McMahon said, you know, comes out with a statement, basically not, I wouldn't say he was, knocking the governor he basically questioned you know some additional guidance right so like it was a tactful way of doing it i'm guessing behind the scenes it's not so tactful so um i understand what you're saying and obviously yeah you're gonna if you're gonna be dependent on state funds i wish that wasn't the case but if you're dependent on state and federal funds to do this you know politics matters and personality matters and cuomo has both and listen, going back to the original point of all of this of, all right, so what happened and why we can't just have our government leaders now say, hey, we got it wrong and we're going to shift this. So what what went wrong, in my opinion, looking back with hindsight, is we didn't specify the problem. We let every new concern steer us in a new direction, and we and we failed to get specific about what the actual threat was. So the threat all along from early on through now, always has been older people and people that have underlying health issues. We've known that, and if you have both, if you're an older person with underlying health issues, as most older people are, this is a grave threat. It was never statistically a big threat to people under the age of 40. It just wasn't, and to kids too. But what you started seeing was articles and Facebook accounts from ER doctors and all this stuff that said this virus spares no one. It can take you down and it's gonna you're going to be on a ventilator and this, that, and the other. And so then the concern became, well, we've got to do everything and we got scared. Now, I don't doubt that that's what these ER doctors were seeing. I don't doubt that that happened. The, the difference, though, is if you're the ER doctor and you're treating 200 patients and 10 of them are under the age of 40 and they end up on a ventilator, that's still a lot of people that you're seeing. Now, when you look at it from the broader picture of the state, it is statistically insignificant. It's a one-off. It's the exception, not the rule. And we started playing for the exceptions instead of the rule. Instead of saying, all right, let's protect the nursing homes, let's protect the people that are the most sick, and let's make sure we do this, we went, let's protect everybody. And you're going, well, wait a minute, why don't we just focus on that, which is what some other states did do, and they had far better results. And now it's, I would be inclined to say, all right, listen, you got it wrong, fix it now, because now there's no excuse. Politically, they can't. And I think that's what's frustrating, is just to say, listen, you got it wrong in the beginning because you failed to get specific and you decided that you were going to just take a very general approach to this. Just acknowledge it now and say, Moving forward, this is what it is. Instead, what we get from him is the plan from day one was protect the nursing homes. You're a liar. That was not the plan from day one, and it's very obvious to anybody who's paying attention that was not the plan. Don't try to rewrite history now. Hey, listen, we should have done this. We didn't, but here was why, and it's legitimate. I mean, you had honest concerns about what was going on, and we didn't know anything about this virus. Now you can fix it. But if you continue to bury your head in the sand and pretend like we did everything right and that New York State did the impossible, like, stop. We got it so wrong. And we didn't need to get it this wrong. But let's start adjusting. Because if you can't acknowledge the mistake, you can't learn from the mistake and you can't fix it moving forward. And now you're just unnecessarily infringing on people's rights to protect everybody from a risk that was never that high for them in the first place. Yeah, It's like banning driving so nobody has a car accident. Sure. Like I said, you know, 
there's there's going to be books upon books written about this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I don't know that anybody had the right answer out of the shoot, and nor would I expect them to. Of course not. Um, but as information changed and as data changed, the people doubled down on their original sentiments without factoring in that new data. Um, that was been that was been my major concern from the beginning. Is like okay. I, I didn't know what was going on. I mean, I, listen, I hunkered down and was like in my house. I'm like, okay, right. you know, whatever. Me too. But then as, as stuff started coming out, you're like, okay, it might not be as bad as we thought. Um, Which and, is great. And, right. And we started getting more of that information, but it turned out that the media didn't want that information. So they, you know, dismissed that information or tried to discredit it. Um, but in hindsight, they were all wrong too. So, you know... I, 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 there's so many levels of failure in this thing. You know, we, we mentioned the government and probably over, over hash that, but like, I mean, yeah. the media was complicit too. I mean, they, you know, there was very few impartial media outlets. They were either in one camp or the other. Um, and it's crazy to me that a virus became a political statement. Um, but it did. It's the problem when anything becomes political is nobody will change sides, nobody will change mind. Once it had established and gone down political party lines, we were all in a lot of trouble because now nobody was willing to say, no, this was right or wrong if it wasn't what the party... I shouldn't say nobody, most people. Right. And even at the minimum, you were it skewed your view. Yeah, just the people, to your point, the people who were making these, you know, somewhat moderate or impartial... We're never being in the paper, right? So, like, they were they were writing stuff, but it wasn't being disseminated mm-hmm. widely as the fear that was being disseminated from right. from certain sides. So, I also let me just be clear on the uh, the media front and everything else. I don't blame some mass like anti Donald Trump conspiracy or pro Donald Trump conspiracy from any of the sides here on how we got here. The reality is the media is a business; they need to sell. Bad news sells, good news doesn't. Fear sells. Motivator for human beings is fear of loss and prospect for gain. Fear of loss is 10 times the motivator that prospect for gain is. So if you're running a media outlet and you put a story up that says coronavirus fears being quelled, things are looking cautiously positive, you're not going to get a lot of people to go and click on that and, and right. sell more advertising. But if you say three 40-year-olds die in same day, all of a sudden people are going... Wait, right. what happened? Right. And I got to read it. Right. So it's not that there's any sort of like massive conspiracy behind what went wrong between the government and the media. It's human nature. Yeah. Or, or like I said, it's to me, it's just the inherent problem with media in general is that they're not disseminating news. They're trying to get clicks. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're not, they're just trying to, they're trying to make money. Right. I mean, they're said, God bless a, you. Right. So um, that being said, when you're in a news uh, outlet, that is taking money from certain factors, either side, whatever, you're more likely to be, you know, partial to that side. So right. we, we get, you know, I, I don't watch national news, so I, thankfully I'm just spared that uh, terribleness, but, but I understand that it exists and most people do watch it. So, um, well, I think here's the, it plays a role. Every news organization has a bias in some direction. I, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, oh. ABC, CBS. I don't care. They all do. So the problem is if you're only looking at one, and that's not even a problem to only look at one, if you completely discredit any news organization to the point that you don't even want to hear it, I think that's where you're looking for a world that doesn't exist. Instead, find out what they say on both sides about it, and it gives you a much 
more broad perspective of what is happening. And ultimately, I, I was joking about this earlier today, but I have never once watched the news, especially the national news, shut off the TV and gone, I'm just in such a better mood now. I no. feel great. No, I, It's miserable. No, 100% it's miserable. And people have, I've had people who ask me, it's like, well, where do you get your news? And I'm like, I, I prefer to read my news only because I feel like what are you, 80? The, the heads that are talking are not, they're not giving you information, right? They're just like headline readers. So like, they're not, you're not getting any information. You're just getting tiny little sound bites, very, you know, surface information. And when I can read an article, I can, first of all, read the article. Then I can reference what it was cited. I can go back to other articles and read about that stuff. When you're getting a five second, 10 second blurb on the news, that's just to plant a seed in your head right. to keep you a certain way. Um, I don't miss it at all. Like I, I, I think the national news is sewer. Um, I tried to listen to both sides watched. and I just, I, I don't care. Oh, let me be clear. When I say both, I mean, I read things from both. So I don't watch national news. It's terrible because all it does is put you in a bad mood. And yeah. it's, it, I don't care which side either. I just always leave disheartened and depressed. And finally I saw, I thought like, what, what is the plus side here? What's the positive impact on my life I'm getting by watching this? Yeah. No, is none. Really helping? I, yeah. And, and listen, I don't feel like I'm uninformed. I feel like I'm more informed. I feel I don't feel like I'm missing out on information. I feel like I'm being, you know, kept away from bad information. So I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. And when people yeah. tell me, you know, where do you get your news? I just say, listen, f you know, find some journalist, find some outlets mm -hmm. that you find that are trust that seem that don't seem to paint a picture every single time. You know, you can find people who will write negative, positive things about each side. And if you do find those people, you may not agree with everything, but it, if you can find them to be impartial, you can at least feel like you're getting accurate information. And when you're getting affirmation, you can reference that information and, you know, confirm it or, right. or, or whatever. So, um, I don't know, like I said, I, I find reading my news much more valuable. Um, it seems to stick with me better than, than watching again, you know, 22nd, sound bites out of our even the local news guys so not that I've, i can't wait to tune in to listen to rachel maddow and sean hannity i mean obviously that's just reliable information we just get them in a steel cage match my money be on that i'm gonna be honest i no. yeah i did i ever tell you i met sean hannity oh you didn't his son was playing tennis at a uh, club that i was working at at one point and he came up to me and asked me where the bathroom was and i'm looking at him like that's freaking sean hannity <laughs> and then nobody believed me i told everybody Everybody that worked, I'm like, hey, that's Sean Hannity. Like, no, it's not, no, it's not, no, it's not. And then it turned out it was. So See? I was right. Yeah. So, but anyway. Um, Did you tell And you know, my name is Sean Hannon. So, like, I've been basically somehow uh, confused or, or mislabeled as Sean Hannity on, on the rest of our different parts of my life. So, oh, I was going to say, other than looking nothing alike and probably an eight inch difference in height. Yeah. No, yeah. I, no, he's actually, he was actually, I feel like he was, I mean, I was taller, but he wasn't that short. Oh, okay. But anyway. Um, before I uh, promote our next show, do we have anything we want to wrap up on here? I feel like we've covered uh, kind of where we're at with the Corona thing here in, in New York. Um, you know, things are going to reopen. Things are going to kind of pick up speed here, especially as we get sports. Our show, as our title indicates, sports, clicks, and politics. You'll have more sports as we actually have sports. So um, we've been focusing more on politics today in our special episode just because that's where we're at. Um, I expect the format of the show to kind of massage a little bit better as we move forward and have more information. Well, right now, basically, the COVID and the politics associated with it and the pause and the shutdown, they have taken over the vast majority of our day-to-day -day lives. Absolutely. So it's going to be the thing that we talk about yeah, most. Absolutely. I guess here's what I'll, I'll end the 
the whole conversation on my side of it with this. When we talk about opening up the economy, we're not talking, or at least I'm not caring at all about the stock market. The stock market is an indicator of how people feel about the economy. It's not a follow-up. It's a graph of how rich white people feel. Uh, sure. How they feel about the future of the economy. It's just, it's just, it's just a measure of their feelings. Right. That's it. And so, fine. That's good. But it's not that I want to care more about making money than I do about your grandmother. The idea is very simple of people need money. It's the lifeblood. It's what gives you the things that you want in this world. It is the medium by which you acquire your security, your safety, your food, your shelter. So having people shut down their businesses and unable to make money is not a small price to pay. It is a massive price to pay for millions of people that are relying on this and then the employees that are relying on the business owners and the families that are relying on all of these people and the inner workings of the economy back and forth. We need to get up and running because if not, we are going to have worse consequences than what we would have had. The sooner the better. As soon as we can do it safely. I mean, listen, we're human beings. It's never going to be 100% safe with anything. But reasonably safely, we have to do this or else we're just going to end up compounding the problem and making it worse. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Like I said, I think it's time. Um, Like I said, I hope these regions and the leaders of these regions start you know, standing up and, you know, being more, uh, uh, forward and pushing back against some of these governors, uh, you know, restrictions. And I think that's going to happen as again, I, you know, I'm assuming, I'm assuming I'm not the only person who's emailing our County executive asking him to reopen. So I'm assuming that he's got, (laughs) (laughs) he's got some other things going on. Um, so I know, uh, just to wrap this up here, I, I kind of want to, I, I think we're going to do the Amazon episode next week. Is that I'm so? You, you guys know that uh, our county executive officially uh, announced that the massive construction project in Liverpool at the former Liverpool golf course is Amazon. So best kept secret ever. Best best kept secret ever. Um, it was not Ray Moore and Flanagan, shockingly. Um, but so I believe our next episode is going to be focus on Amazon, how it's going to impact Onondaga County, New York State. Um, our hope is to have somebody from the economic development committee join us for an interview and, uh, hopefully that'll be our show for you next week. Mr. Husong, anything else you'd like to leave the folks with? No, I appreciate everybody turning in. Thank you. Uh, hopefully it's somewhat entertaining and informative and, uh, appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank yeah. you. Likewise as well. I appreciate you guys and, uh, hopefully you'll be here next week and thanks for tuning in. Take care. It's weird when you take those things off. It was like 50, 52 minutes.